When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to Game Over Montreal. I'm here for the first time in a while, it feels like. Just getting over a cold, so I'm sorry about the the voice, but uh, mostly here. Here with Sebastian High. Sebastian, how are you feeling after that one? That was the most fun I've had watching the Habs uh, this season so far, and uh, I, I enjoyed every second of it. you got to enjoy good Habs hockey when you're blessed with an opportunity to actually see it. Yeah, seriously, it was a really strong game, I think, from both teams in a lot of respects. Uh, two teams in rebuilds. I think we can probably compare the rebuilds a little bit at some point, but with the uh, context that this is Buffalo's second rebuild in a row, so maybe higher expectations for them at this point. But uh, a really strong game. We're going to talk about the story of the game. Usually we start uh, every show with like kind of the story of the game and and go over the positives and all that. But uh, I want to talk about Struble. I want to talk about Slavkovsky tonight. That'll be in our last segment. But first, I want to start off. Let's get all the negatives out of the way to start with. I want to talk about Justin Barron because I have a couple theories about Justin Barron that uh, I know people are really hard on him right now for good reason. He's struggling, especially on the defensive end. I think there's two issues with Justin Barron. One is very easily fixed, and I think one can only come in time. Number one, I think he uses the wrong stick, Sebastian, because I've never seen a guy have so many pucks hop over his stick blade. Either his stick blade is too sh- like short, like it's not wide enough, or maybe his stick is a little bit too stiff. He's thinking too much shot when he should be thinking maybe more stick handling and passing. That's... Just throwing that out there. Maybe the Canadians equipment staff want to check that out with him. But the the bigger thing for Justin Barron to me, and I'm I'm saying this at, not trying to be mean. I'm just assessing what I think is happening with the player. I think Justin Barron right now plays like he's a better player than he is and takes risks that his current skill level can't cash. Uh, there's, you know, some of that comes down to awareness and holding on to the puck too long in the defensive zone. You know, at the end of the day, you want your players to have confidence in what they're doing. And I think that Baron does have that confidence and that's a good thing, but he's not at the peak of his development curve yet. And at times I think he needs to dial it back a little bit. What do you think? Yeah. Baron's an interesting case. I think that, with both him and Logan Mayu, the Habs have two defensemen who have some really interesting tools. Like 
Baron is an excellent skater, really beautiful edge work. He can activate offensively really nicely. And we've seen him score quite a few goals already this season because he gets involved in the offensive zone. But going back to his draft year, his defensive awareness, and especially his uh, tendency to cough up the puck uh, in the breakout in highly vulnerable positions has always been a part of his game that hasn't really been ironed out just yet. I think one of the big things that I've seen, like it might be a stick thing. I think I see it more with Baron when he gets a pass in the breakout, he is already scanning for his passing options and he's not the most capable at pass receptions and he regularly coughs up the puck. It's almost like a, in football when a receiver peeks to look ahead before they actually secure the ball and it, just, it, it pops out, right? Like it's the same thing with Baron. And uh, either he has to work on his, his puck control to receive those pucks a lot more fluidly or he's going to have to make sure he actually gets gets possession before he starts scanning for passing options. Yeah, I think too far ahead, right? And, and I think when for Mike sure. Matheson is off of his game, he does that too. Right, he's thinking three, four plays ahead, and he kind of burns himself a lot of the time. And Baron kind of has that same issue. I think that's why when the two of them were paired together, and Baron was kind of forced to play a little bit more reserved, it worked for a short period of time. But you know, when they start struggling, it gets real bad. Uh, same kind of thing is happening now with Gooley, where you know, like Gooley's there to insulate, but I don't think we're seeing the best of Caden Gooley right now either. I feel like that pair has taken more and more tough minutes over the last few weeks, and it hasn't really worked out. I think they were they looked good at the start, but Barron seems to be the guy that kind of needs a push every now and then, and maybe it's time to to knock him down one pairing and and elevate Jaden Struble, say, uh, who was fantastic tonight, and we'll talk about it in the last segment. But Barron is uh, I get why people are frustrated. The skill level is there. I think there's an expectation for offensive defensemen to also be great transition players. And that's just not true of Baron at this stage of his game inside the offensive zone. I really like what he does handling the puck outside of it less. So, and he's got things to work on. You know, all of these guys on defense are works in progress, which is why when people were getting really upset about Jack, I being sent down to the American (laughs) hockey league, I was like, what, what do you guys think is going to happen? You think just because George Rock says he's going to be traded that he's going to be traded? Uh, I'll tell people this also about Arbor Jacki. If he is traded, you're probably going to be okay with the trade. This is a guy that 31 yeah. teams would like to have on their roster and one has. If he goes, it's going to be for wildly above market value. Yeah, I agree. I think that if if the Habs feel comfortable to at, at least tip, dip their toes into the trade market with Jacki, they really could get a big return. And especially with a player like Struble already kind of taking that that spot at the third pairing left hand defenseman uh, slot. And I mean, Jordan Harris is going to be back at some point. And you have guys like Lane Hudson and Adam Engstrom in the wings. Left defense is not a position of weakness in the Habs pool, especially for yeah. young pieces. So. I wouldn't be surprised if they asked around for Jack Guy. Now, whether or not they feel comfortable pulling the trigger, especially on a player that they kind of came out of nowhere with the Habs and they drafted his brother just very recently, which was also a reach of a pick. They have a lot of inve- invested in not only Arbor Jack Guy, but his family with the organization. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you, you are totally correct. If they want to deal him, they would at, at the bare minimum get a contender's first round draft pick in return. Yeah, 100%. And I think 
the like I kind of viewed it the opposite of the way other people did. We're kind of getting distracted talking about Jack guy, but I never got to really say my piece because I haven't been on the show. But uh, <laughs> I, I kind of saw the opposite way of the way a lot of people did when he was sent down. To me, sending Jack guy down to the American Hockey League, coming off of an injury, telling him to work on his defensive game. My viewpoint from seeing that was that they now see more in Jack Eye than they previously did. They're saying, yes, you're super tough. Yes, you can score goals because your shots, your wrist shots somehow go through netting. You know, like you've got power behind you that most guys could only dream of. But you can be more than that. You consistently have shown improvement. So let's work on your game. Let's develop you even more. Like I think being sent down to the American Hockey League has shown that Canadians are even more committed to Arbor Jacai. So like, the time may come down the road. As you mentioned, there's so many good left side defense prospects in this Canadian system that he may be moved. I don't think it's imminent right now. I, I think that this is a play on trying to push him to the next level to see if he can, you know, move up the lineup. But yeah, I, Justin Barron, I, I do still believe in this kid. I, I think that he's having a really rough ride right now. Maybe he needs to be... Is he even eligible to go down to the American Hockey League? I don't know. Yeah, he still is. He still is, yeah. yeah. So it might be worth a shot to... Once maybe David Savard comes back and just let him marinate again. Let him work on his game a little bit, get his confidence back, and then bring him back up. But either way, I think uh, tonight, the uh, game-tying goal... I'm going to give Baron a mulligan on that one because of the headshot earlier in the game. I know he wasn't good before the headshot either, but just that seemed like an I'm concussed play. And it was not to say that he for sure is, but I was pretty shocked that they didn't put him in concussion protocol. Yeah, me too. I mean, we've had this drill in the past with the Habs. Like, I can think back of multiple instance, instances in the past, like two, three seasons where we're pretty certain that a player should kind of just be retired for the game to to get checked on and they haven't been and it's come back to bite them and hopefully that's not the case with this case here but uh yeah it did not look like a pretty hit or and the reaction afterwards was also concerning yeah yeah he looked not well as he skated to the bench it, it wasn't pretty and you know five minute major in game misconduct uh, kind of turned the game around in a lot of ways and was the right call, which was one of the few that the refs actually caught tonight. Whether it was Brendan Gallagher trying to break uh, Jeff Skinner in half, or Twice. or was was Skinner right? Not Middlestat. Yeah, it was Skinner. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I thought so. Two or, shots uh, too. He got two in. Yeah, and then or or Caulfield getting tripped and then elbowed in the back of the head. It, officiating in this league is a horror show. It is really awful. It's not about one team. It's just terrible. Yeah, it's not the strongest of uh, the professional sports I watch. No, <laughs> definitely not. All right, let's get into the story of the game. But uh, before we do, lots of people in here tonight. Make sure you remember to like the stream, subscribe to SDPN, and uh, throw some comments in the stream chat here. I'll, I read them live as much as I can. Try to keep up with what you guys are saying. If you've got something to, uh, you want a question that's off topic from what we're talking about, keep it to the end. We will do a, a little mini press conference at the end. We will warn you when it's time to get your questions in. But uh, if you've got comments on what we're talking about live, sometimes we read them out. We'll shout you out if you have a good idea. There's lots of ways to interact with the show live. And uh, make sure that you follow Sebastian at high underscore Sebastian on Twitter. I'm refusing it to call it the uh, refusing to call it the other name still, 
Uh, apparently the only one is holding out, but uh, I'm not giving Mr. Musk that satisfaction. All right, I think the story of the game is pretty simple here, outside of it being wildly entertaining. Uh, Caden Primo, that was a hell of a bounce-back performance after looking abysmal in the third period in his last start. Yeah, no, I mean, the first period was excellent as per usual with Primo this season. He's been lights out in, I think, every single first period he's played so far for the Habs this year. And that was no different tonight. But he continued it up in the second, too. So I thought it was a very strong performance. Like, sure, Buffalo got two quick goals to start the third period when you had a two-goal lead. But he was really, really strong the entire game. And in the shootout as well, I thought that he, he looked quite solid. And he was beaten twice, but he did enough for the Habs to earn the victory. Yeah, he absolutely did, and I don't think we can blame him on either of the goals that went in, really. No. They're, they're pretty tough ones, you know? Like, even, like, uh, maybe you could say the Skinner goal, he could have got across, because I feel like he stopped four or five of those same attempts tonight. But the expectation can't be to stop, like, five or six of those every night. You know, it's it's pretty tough. Oh, for sure. I mean, he, he had his fair share of high-danger saves in this game. He was allowed to let one in, too. Yes, 100%. He was fantastic. And, you know, I was calling last game that uh, I would basically just throw him on waivers the next morning. And I'm still not convinced that this three-goalie situation is worth carrying around. But, hey, if if uh, Kent Hughes ends up getting uh, a nice return for one of these goalies going into, uh, you know, the end of the Christmas holidays or something like that, maybe it'll work out. I don't know, but... Still not thrilled on uh, the three-goalie situation. I'm sure none of the goalies are either. Yeah, it definitely restricts playing time for all of them. But if if they end up extracting value from this, and whether that be selling high on Primo relative to losing him for nothing uh, after after preseason, or if they just get some type of return for Jake Allen, maybe maybe a, t- a contender wants to have a proven backup with, with a lot of NHL experience, he's a good option for that. But... Uh, yeah, like I, I was expecting it to the goalie situation to have been solved by like the end of November. So I'm a bit surprised that they're still going ahead with it well into December now. Yeah, it seems like a lot of teams are just kind of sitting on what they have and and not willing to to pay the prices that are being asked. And I mean, I guess if you're a team like the Edmonton Oilers, it's starting to pay off a little bit. But I, I would still be a little bit wary of having to deal with the goaltending situation that they've got heading into the playoffs. They've got to find something. I don't think Caden Primo is a fit there. I do think Jake Allen in like a support role for yeah. Stu Skinner might be a fit there. I agree. I think that Jake Allen and Edmonton is about the best fit I've seen from a Habs goalie with any other NHL organization. Um, I mean, it, it all depends on Jack Campbell though. If he can stick in the NHL as a, serviceable backup uh then Edmonton really has no use for Jake Allen but if if that doesn't end up working out and uh he's back stuck in the AHL then I could really see Jake Allen being an enticing option for the Oilers yeah uh Ben Dawson says Primo doesn't have a big enough body of work to obtain a sizable return teams give value for sure thing goalies I agree totally and that's why I think the big holdup on this is that the only like now that Montembeau is signed which I think is a good contract yeah. The only goalie that can move is Jake Allen. Like it's the only one that makes sense. Unless they just get an offer like a fourth round draft pick or something, and they cut their losses with the three goalie situation. Like I could imagine that, but yeah, 
at this at this point, they've invested a lot of time into Caden Primo and taking a lot of valuable starts away from their projected starter now over the next couple of years, Samuel Montembeau, over the past couple of months, that that would be a little bit probably disappointing uh, as a return for carrying the three goalies. But uh, it's going to have to shake out at some point because you're not going to see the Habs carry three goalies this entire season, I don't think. I surely hope not. Like, How much longer can they keep going that way? Uh, There's stuff that caught my eye in this game. I know that they didn't, you know, pile on an avalanche of goals on the power play or anything, but as opposed to the usual story with the Canadians, I thought the special teams tonight were pretty spectacular. Like, they allowed their fair share of chances while on the PK, but they were in it. Like, they were they were keeping pucks to the outside for most of it. They had several heroic uh, PK shifts. So that Mike Matheson in particular tonight yeah. on the defensive side of the puck, Man, where has that guy been? Like, I know that he, he can't expect that guy to be, show up every, like, 82 games. It's impossible. But he was astonishingly good on the penalty kill tonight, whether he had his stick or not. <laughs> yeah, he was a ton of fun tonight. I, I, I love watching Mike Matheson play, and especially that play without the stick, not only to, to get the puck out of the zone, but to then spark a counterattack where Christian Dvorak actually gained possession in the offensive zone against Rasmus Dahlin, who had a stick, uh, is yep. really impressive. And uh, Dahlin is one of the two or three best skaters in the entire world at this stage. He's a, a really, really wonderful skater, but Mike Matheson beat him in that one-on-one despite lacking a stick, which was uh, a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, it was it was a really really impressive shift. Just I think I feel like the strength and balance that he put on display there in not only outmuscling Dalene at the line and then outracing him, but keeping up with him without a stick to put pressure and not allowing Dalene to deke him out at the blue line. Like just incredible, incredible series of reactions from Mike Matheson and applying pressure. I find so many players without a stick play so conservatively and I don't get it. And I, like Matheson has the advantage of the fact that he's like a physical freak and like stronger than his size and a super good skater. But when you don't have a stick, just take a guy out, man. Like just go after the puck. Let the rest of your team figure it out. Yeah, no, for sure. And he then also got a decent pass in with his skate afterwards. So he completed the whole sequence. Uh, but yeah, he was a ton of fun tonight. There's also another PK sequence that was less pretty, uh, but he like splayed himself out right at the foot of the crease to make sure that the puck didn't get across. And he's been really, really solid uh, since since being traded to the Habs. Like I'm a, I'm a big fan of Mike Matheson, and he's he's very much uh, kind of leading the way and showing what a number one defenseman should look like uh, with this organization. And while he's not going to be that solution long term, you have a lot of young defensemen, as we were talking about earlier, that can really learn from him, which is just great to see. It really is. And, you know, I don't think he's... Uh like an actual number one defenseman. I think he's like on a, on a good team. Fringe. Probably a yeah, number he's three a guy, you know, uh, but he's been great. Number two. Been... I, I'm number two. I'm a very you, big You think fan he's number two? Madison. I think he's a, I, I... He, he's a shoe number two on the vast majority of teams, uh, both uh, on both sides of the puck with how he uses his skating. Uh, he has a bit of that Jeff Petrie effect of just like, improving year on year well into his late 20s and of course we're going to see a dip at some point especially for a player that relies so much on his mobility to create advantages 
but I'd say for the next like two to three seasons, he's a pretty, pretty solid bet for a first pairing def- defenseman, even on contending team. Yeah. I do wonder if at some point they get Gooley playing on his offside and just put him with Matheson and have like a real top pairing. Cause if there's one thing I think Matheson needs right now, it's to not have to carry around somebody who's not prepared to play those kinds of minutes. And I know that he's scored some yeah. goals, but I'm ki- I'm kind of tired of Lindstrom. Like it, there was several plays tonight where he just wasn't ready for a pass or a, a pass was sent to him along the wall. He's under no pressure and he just bobbles it and loses all the time and space that he had. And it, I find like that kind of stuff. It's the same issue that Baron was having tonight, right? It just gets frustrating because your teammates can't rely on you to do the simple things. And that's not his fault. He shouldn't be playing on the first pair. That's that's a, a coaching decision that's uh, out of Lindstrom's hands. But I do think Matheson needs somebody who can be a little bit more reliable just to make the safe play and allow Matheson to run free a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Gustav Lindstrom put in a, quite a few decent shifts uh, on a third and second pairing uh, after getting called up, but he really is like a seventh or maybe number six defenseman uh, and playing on a first pairing, despite getting pretty limited than special teams minutes, which keeps him a bit fresher, uh, still is a little bit too much to ask from a player of his caliber. Uh, here's a question for you, Sebastian. What are your thoughts on Yoel Armia right now? Because he's a guy who's had, you know, all the chances you think that maybe a guy should deserve. And he seems to come up, play really well for a stretch, and then kind of go back to the Armia that we're used to where he's kind of lackadaisical. But tonight he pulled maybe the best move I've ever seen him pull. He was spectacular on the penalty kill. And all season long, I know he's he's playing sheltered minutes, but all season long... His underlying numbers are spectacular. What are, what should yeah, the Canadians I mean, do with this guy? <laughs> you all are me as one of the more fascinating case studies I've ever seen, uh, especially with the Hab system. Uh, I, I wrote up a, a like a scouting thread on him back in like uh, in March or February of this year, and just because he's he really is so interesting. And you'll are me as a player that never really learned to leverage his tools against compact defensive structures he depends on it being wide open in the offensive zone to pull off his moves whether it be the ridiculous steak that we saw today to to cut to the middle of the slot uh or or his his overall goal scoring it always does come against weaker sides where he's able to actually find space and has enough time to get his shot off because his shot is really dangerous but he lacks the tools to get it off in traffic and uh, he it doesn't exactly have a, a hard nose for the slot, despite being a really strong like board battle player, for instance. He stays on the periphery quite a bit. Uh, so he's a player that, when given the space and the time and uh, a good night's sleep, uh, can look like prime Eric Lindros for about three shifts a game uh, against weak, weak opponents. And it's always very entertaining. I... I I've, I've quite enjoyed watching Yolarmia play. Uh, I think that that he's a a really really fun fourth liner to have at your dis- disposal, uh, and he's also a really strong penalty killer. So that 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 gives him added versatility. But yeah, I think I think he could stick with the Habs would be fine if they want to prioritize development of some players and get them NHL minutes. You can send him right back down to Laval because no one's claiming that contract at this point. 
So it, it, I don't know. Like, depends what the Has want to do. Depends uh, if if Yolarmia uh, keeps playing the way he's playing right now, or if that drops back down to the Yolarmia that we've also like the other Yolarmia that, that we've gotten to know quite well over the last couple of years. Um, yeah. We'll we'll see how it goes. Uh, but he, he is fascinating, and uh, from from a scouting perspective, just a really fun case study. Of what happens to some like high end draft picks that got picked like 20 like, top 20 overall uh who had all the tools in the world but could never quite do it at the NHL pace of like high level NHL opponents yeah i'm with you i i do like i think that the tough thing now about sending armia down to the american hockey league if the canadians get to a point where they're healthy enough to do so which losing tanner pearson tonight Maybe that's not coming anytime yeah. soon. It seems like no matter what they do, they find a way to get injured. This team is ridiculous. You know, at the NHL level and the American Hockey League level, I, I think I find it hard to justify sending Armia down at this point over... I mean, I'm not saying send him down, but does anybody think that Armia is not outplaying Josh Anderson? <laughs> uh, like, seriously. I mean... Look, Armia is currently providing more Ander- uh, more value than Anderson is, but once Anderson gets going, he will offer more value than Armia does. Like theoretically, we've seen like like jo- jo- Josh Anderson is as streaky a player as they come. Like remember the entire season before he got traded to the Habs, uh, yep. he had like what one goal in twenty six games with Columbus after his thirty goal season. Uh, he is as streaky as they come. Uh, I remember like there was like a month of February two years ago where he, he was going like a, like a goal a game pace for a full month. And I think it'll come with him. The key the key with Josh Anderson is he he needs to more consistently not overextend rushes. Uh, that was why Slavkovsky looked so bad on his line uh, for the entire like first month of the year because Slavkovsky needs a methodical approach and transition where he can build up play with his line mates. And Anderson just sprints up the boards, uh, lose a possession, and has to go back all the time. But we're seeing Anderson like integrate some more delays into his rushes. Like we're seeing him t- hit the brakes and wait for his line mates a little bit more right now, which is promising and at the very least is clinching to have some added offensive zone possessions uh but yeah I, i'd probably still keep anderson in the lineup just because he provides an x factor of sorts that is present more than like one shift every blue moon like it is with armia uh but yeah with the habs injury record and uh i mean they are so consistent at getting hurt i don't think that's gonna yeah. really stop at any point soon so uh, it's the most consistent he, thing they do consistency is key it's the key to winning championships and the Habs have adopted that in an interesting place they they really have it's it's interesting uh Desheeran asks if uh Pearson's out long term do the Habs finally call up Joshua Waugh I'm I'm gonna say I don't think so I don't think they want to be in a situation where they're forced to call up Joshua Waugh I think they're gonna bring up Joshua Waugh when they're good and ready when they're putting him in a good situation and not a situation where it's like figure out how to build a line out of what we have left. I think they want to call him up when they have a spot for him ready for him to excel. What do you think? Yeah, I would agree. I think that we've seen the Habs hastily call up players, like young players uh, from the AHL repeatedly over the last decade. 
And Joshua Roy, like we've seen the ups and downs already this season. Like the production's excellent. He's playing really good hockey. But there's been like hills and valleys in, in both the production and his shift-to-shift play this year. So he's maturing his game. He's still adapting to pro hockey. There's no rush to uh, get him from a bad situation in Laval to a slightly less bad situation in Montreal uh, unless you really want to. And I don't think that like injury is the case that's, that's really going to make that happen for him. Uh, or or really force Montreal's hand because you have alternatives like uh, Zavi Simonou I think has earned a call up he got uh, like massacred with a massive hit today like a six foot five guy jumped into his head with his shoulder which uh, jeez when when a six foot five player jumps to hit a five foot six player it's not ideal um, but it, yeah. if he's all right if he's healthy I think he's a pretty logical player to call up. He's in the vein of uh, Raphael Harvey-Pinard and Brendan Gallagher stylistically. Super high motor. You just plug him into your fourth line. And he's also going to give you like some really solid playmaking and uh, sl- like, like inner slot play in the offensive zone. Uh, he's a solid bumper, uh, really versatile, but uh, has that dog in him, which I think all Habs fans appreciate and Habs management appreciates. So if he's healthy, I think he's the most logical next call-up. I know it would make me and uh, my good friend, Hattie Kalikash, very happy to see Simono in the NHL. Uh, so, yeah, the Habs definitely have some options apart from Gua as well, and they don't have to rush him. Yeah, Jean Simard mentioned Heineman as well. Uh, he's just returning from an injury, so they might want to let him cook for a little bit longer just to get his timing back. But uh, I think he is a, a call-up option. And I don't think he's a call-up option right now, but we mentioned Laval. Uh, they won 5-1 earlier tonight, even with the, the big hit, obviously. And a guy that's coming on there that uh, has had a tougher transition to the American Hockey League than Joshua Waugh. But Riley Kidney is finally starting to produce points. He's up to nine points in his last 10 games, two goals and an assist today. Really good to see him getting on the board as well because, you know, he's not as um, all situations oriented, we'll say, as Joshua Wah, but he's a guy who can put the puck in the net and who can make plays for his teammates. So seeing him get a little bit of confidence now, that's a good sign for the Canadians as well. Oh, for sure. Uh, Kidney's really fun. Uh, like he was a player that in his draft year and his D plus one and even well into his D plus two uh, really struggled to like access the middle of the ice. He was extremely peripheral in all of his offensive plays, which is especially an issue when you're playing at the QMJHL level where slots are usually wide open and, and easy to exploit. Uh, but He's worked very closely with Adam Nicholas and has really, really opened up his his game to being quite middle-driven. And it's unlocked a lot more of his playmaking ability because he now has two flanks that he can really attack with with his passing rather than just sticking to the perimeter and just really having that one cross-ice option. Uh, So it's been great to see him kind of get going because it was a pretty slow start in terms of production. I think he he had like one or two points in his first like 15 games. But uh, yeah, it's getting started. Yeah, it it was slow. He was playing like four or five minutes, pretty sheltered. But uh, it's getting going now. And especially with a lot of Laval's players now in Montreal, there's actual offensive opportunities for him down there. So it's nice nice to see that he's running with it. And uh, that that first goal he scored tonight, uh, it also clinched the teddy bear toss. So that must have been a, a cool experience too, to just be like flooded with teddy bears for scoring a goal. Yeah, that's that's always a a fun game. Although I'm sure that it takes a while to get all those teddies off the ice, which 
it kind of <laughs> hurts the flow, I'm sure. But the, the Rocket actually made it out of that one. So it was nice to see them win a game. It's been a, a tough stretch for Laval. But uh, yeah, I, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, m- not necessarily the AHL, but we, we mentioned the Canadians calling up players you know, too early or willy-nilly, uh, not necessarily having a plan in the in the past let's talk about somebody who's made a fantastic transition Jaden struble but first another reminder everybody who's here please like the stream subscribe to sdpn if you really like it well hey grab the link and share it on your favorite social media of choice it helps to have lots of people in here and have fun especially live because then they get to interact with us we get to read their comments we get to adjust the show based on the wants and needs of our viewers that's the coolest thing that we can offer in a live show streamed right to your computer or your phone or your tablet or heck your tv too uh so sebastian let's talk about Jaden struble because aside from just the mechanical precision that he plays the game with in terms of his decision making he had one of the more impressive back checks i've seen this year on Tage Thompson, who is bigger than him, had a step on him, and isn't really a slow skater. He's a bit of a, a weird-looking skater because he's so big, but he's not a slow <laughs> skater. But Struble's speed burst to catch up with him and then out-muscle the big man. Man, this kid is so impressive. Then he goes out and scores his first goal on a wild <sighs> rush w- with two defensemen leading it, two defensive defensemen going on a rush. And, and perfectly executed. Right? He put this guy on the power play all of a sudden. (laughs) He's been so unbelievably impressive. And what I kept hearing about Jaden Struble throughout his uh, uh, college career, his first year in Laval, was that he has all of the tools, but the mental game hasn't put everything together yet. It sure seems like it has now. And he's gone from a guy who might have been one of the forgotten guys on that defensive depth chart to the point where... I think he's an NHLer. I don't want to ever see him go back to the AHL. He has looked fantastic. And there was a lot of criticism with his development at Northeastern because he peaked offensively in his sophomore season. So he did not top that point total in either of his final two college seasons. And that said, his game developed tremendously in those years. And instead of kind of being molded into this like, freak offensive defenseman that he could have been with his tools. Like he had the mobility, he had the creativity coming out of prep. Uh, he had the confidence for sure. That, that, that was an option developmentally, but instead they decided to mold him more into a like solid two-way player. And he really refined his defensive game. And uh, at Northeastern, he became really one of the the best breakout defensemen in the entire NCAA and in the, in the entire Habs organization and their depth chart. And that's been very clear since his call up to Montreal, the the calmness with which he's handled pressure on the breakout. We saw it even on his first goal where he retrieved the puck in the neutral zone and made a really little death little play to get the puck to Kovacevich before bombing up the middle lane to get in the tip to score the goal. He is very, very active. Jaden Struble is anything but passive on both sides of the puck. He tries to make things happen, but he's gained this element of control and decisiveness that really wasn't there uh, as a draft eligible. He came straight out of prep hockey and he was quite raw and he was like going to be like a four to six year project. And he has been, but the payoff has been so interesting and quite different from the profile that he was drafted as. Yeah. It's funny because 
we know that there's going to be moves on this blue line in the future. And we shouldn't get too attached to anyone. But I find myself... <laughs> yeah. Like, right now, I think of the young defensemen who are currently in the NHL, Jordan Harris is probably on the bottom rung in terms of, like, most likely to be traded, right? He's probably the most likely to be traded. And and then you've got your your Strubles and your Jack guys and your Barons, and then, like, Gooley's safe, Hudson's safe, Reinbacher's yeah. safe, and you've got a bunch of other stuff that you, you aren't sure... You know, Angstrom. Uh, Angstrom, right? Who looks like he could be a, a middle pairing defenseman. He's fun. Like right away, he's really, really fun to watch. Really good player. But I'm, I'm kind of like a dragon, and I'm like hoarding my gold. I'm like no one touch my defenseman. Like I like all these guys. I think that's what makes it really difficult. Is you don't want to fall in love with guys that you know there will be some moved out. But like on and off the ice, I really love Jordan Harris. You know, someone mentioned oh, yeah. Struble. Aside from being so strong to start the game man he's also pretty as hell he is one handsome dude so there's a lot of people <laughs> who like him for that too you know like these players are extremely likable arbor jacka extremely likable likable family great story to root for yeah. it's gonna kind of suck and be bittersweet when some of these guys are moved on certainly right like that's that that's a difficulty with uh with being a big hockey fan and being attached to any specific team there's always player movement i think the, the longer i did a scouting thing the more i'm becoming fan, a fan of like individual players than than teams as a whole i still am a Habs fan at heart but uh i i probably get more joy from seeing like Zach Benson's first career goal being in between right. the legs after spending the entirety of the past year cheering him on and just like like studying him his game and loving every second of it. I get more joy from that than like I don't know Christian Dvorak scored a brace for the Habs. Like I that 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 just wouldn't do it to, do it too much for me. But tonight's game was excellent. I I, I really did enjoy. It. I think that the Slavkovsky shootout winner was just the perfect cherry on top to a beautiful game. As you said, Struble was fantastic, and he's a player that I would love to see stick it out in Montreal. He's so versatile. I'd love to see him just get an opportunity on the second power play unit at some point and just kind of see what he does with the puck. Because really going back to that sophomore year in college, he's really been like doubling down on practicing his off puck game. So trying to look back into his on puck game and seeing what he can create offensively would also be kind of fun to explore for the Habs. But uh, yeah, lots of lots of fun players to to kind of look at after this game against Buffalo. Yeah, and uh, Mark Chiknita said, Grace is a great point. He said, I was sad to see Romanov go, but it was an incredible deal. Let's hope for a few more like those. That's yeah. the kind of thing that the Canadians have put themselves into with this many really strong defensive prospects, right? There's going to be situations where, you know, like they can leverage this position of strength because defensemen are always in need in the NHL. There's just always a need for defensemen. So, there's going to be some some tough goodbyes, but uh, they'll get some some good returns too. All right, uh, Jaden Struble is off. Amazing, uh, great game, but we also got to talk about Uri Slavkovsky. He has been a different player since they destroyed that line of him, Newhook, and Anderson, but it's gone to another level now where, to me, he looks like a player on the verge of having a gigantic scoring streak he's in that same element as Caulfield right now where like everything they're doing is the right thing to do the finishing just hasn't come yet and then both of them obviously finish in the shootout tonight 
and win the game. It was a good feeling to see Slavkovsky pull off that nice move and get it to go for him because he's been doing everything but score lately. He really has. Like his his development since the start of training camp has just been funny to watch. Like when training camp started, Slavkovsky looked very much the same player from like a year and a half ago when when he first broke in with the Habs and. Uh, that was not necessarily a good thing, uh, but he has really worked on the small details in this game, and the small things really do unlock a lot. So, for instance, Lefkowski, the big thing he struggled with last year was pre-scanning. He never scanned before he got the puck on his stick, so whenever he'd get like a puck retrieval or reception in the neutral zone, he would look, be looking down at the puck, and then would take about like a full beat before getting his head up and looking, and then he'd just get wrecked with a massive hit. And we saw him get injured because of it. So I think that was a one massive issue in his game that Habs management should have uh, kind of put a flag on and uh, starred him in the AHL to at the very least work on that before getting him to the NHL level. But this year, uh, within like three or four weeks of the season starting, uh, the amount of of work he did on the scanning specifically uh, trumps what he's done going back to the beginning of his, of his draft year season. And uh, that was quite stagnant the entire time in his development. It was a bigger concern that I personally had in this game. And it was like, you just flip the switch and he starts pre-scanning and then the dominoes started falling in line. When he started pre-scanning, he started being able to leverage his intelligence against NHL competition. And when he was able to do that, he was gaining confidence with the puck on his stick. And then things just started flowing his way once he became comfortable. And that last season, there was always this angst when he had the puck on his stick. He's always nervous about getting hit because he got hit often. And ever since integrating these scanning habits into his game, he's really been a revelation for the Habs. And that stylistic fit on the Habs top line is just superb. I think that Coffee and Suzuki aren't necessarily the most natural fit at five on five. But Slavkovsky compliments them both perfectly. He's able to get in and do all those board battles and do the dirty work on that line, which frees up Suzuki to kind of just drift off puck and find those uh, openings and try to find that soft ice, which he does so well. And allows Caulfield to not really have to get too involved in the board battles because it's not a strength of his. Uh, and beyond that, his playmaking ability unlocks the goal scoring for both of his teammates. And I, I still, I'm still a big believer that the playmaking is Slavkovsky's biggest offensive tool, along with his handling. I think that the the shot is very good, but the goal scoring instincts just don't quite compare to the playmaking instincts. And while I certainly agree he needs to shoot more because that will only uh, like diversify his offensive toolkit and make him a lot less predictable with the puck on his stick, the playmaking I still think is going to be the, the jewel of that toolkit moving forward. Yeah, I agree with you, and I think that. We saw that when they had the Dvorak, uh, Caulfield, Slavkovsky line together, and he put a lot of good pucks on Caulfield's stick and through Dvorak's feet because Dvorak doesn't pay attention when he's in the scoring position. But I digress. He, he, uh, I, I know we got a comment here from Ben Dawson says, uh, Slav is consistently a step ahead of the play, a huge contrast to last year. I think that comes back to what Sebastian was saying with the scanning and the pre-scanning, right? You can't be ahead of the play if you don't know what's going on. And now he does. And you can see that the piece is falling together, right? And Trizak mentioned uh, everything but scoring is kind of important, right? Of course, that is obviously true. But before the scoring begins for a player who is a project, these pieces have to fall into place. 
right? Like you have to do the right things to get the consistent scoring or else you develop into a player who's you know, like super streaky or extremely one note. And I think what's encouraging to me about uh, this season in general, but Slavkovsky and Caulfield in particular is along with like, I know the finishing isn't there for either of them right now, but the offensive contributions are, and the defensive contributions for both are just wildly better than last year. Wildly better. And I know there was a game recently where Caulfield had like four or five defensive zone turnovers, but the point is he's involved in exits now, right? He's not flying the zone just to score. He's involved in breaking up plays defensively. And once in a while, he throws a hit out there too. It's it's kind of fun. And you mentioned Slavkovsky being uh, worried about getting hit. Now it seems like he's no longer worried about getting hit at all. And we'll just let guys go at him and shrug them off. His ability to forecheck this year is miles and miles beyond what we saw last year. How many times tonight did he take a hit to just create space for himself? Exactly. Like, I think the progression on that front is almost one of the most surprising things uh, for me personally in his development, because he was so afraid of being hit last year. And tonight, for instance, I saw at least three different occasions in the offensive zone where he absorbed a hit, especially on the power play, uh, to get a decent pass open into a passing lane that opened up because of that pressure that he drew in. And he's absorbed that contact comfortably. He doesn't look at all afraid of, of taking a hit to make a play. And uh, yeah, I think that the, the progression's just been, like, again, very funny for me to watch uh, over the past two months, just because he's now displaying all the tools and skills that I've seen in him going back to his draft year, but that you really only ever saw him put together in, like, these tiny little spurts in very specific international tournaments, which helped him get picked first overall. And uh, after a pretty slow start to the season on a line where he had, I mean, I don't think you can find two less complimentary players in the Habs lineup than Josh Anderson and Yuri Sokoski <laughs> stylistically. Uh, so he was not he was not in a good position in that line. And especially because Alex Newhook isn't a natural center, does not really help the equation because you yep. saw Slavkovsky be like the main defensive p- player on that line, dropping low in the off- in the defensive zone. And then you just have Newhook and Anderson sprinting up the ice, and Slavkovsky's still stuck by his own crease, right? He can't, <laughs> can't really play that way. But no. ever since he got moved to a line where he has a well-defined role, and that was when he got moved with the Dvorak and Caulfield, everything's just been falling into place. And again, he's he's developed so hilariously in that span. As soon as, as he got a role that he could build his strengths around, uh, and that wasn't just abstract, uh, give it your best shot, sport, go over the boards, Uh <laughs> It's starting to fall into place now, and you're seeing him get really targeted development both from Martin Saint-Louis and from Adam Nicholas, which I think is really smart from the organization because those are some really, really smart hockey minds, and you want them to work with your uh, highest potential young players, and Sapkowski is most certainly that. So he's been getting that targeted development, the one-on-one video and and skating sessions. So uh, it's it's I'm, I'm very excited to see how it continues this season for Slav. And as he mentioned earlier, it really does feel like a point streak is just above the horizon for him. Yeah, it really does. And I, I really have to credit him for putting in the work and, and the Canadians for sticking to their plan. And I, I don't want to take a victory lap yet, but I will say all the folks who are saying 
that he like had to go to the AHL when he was on that Anderson Newhook line. And my point, I know we there were some big arguments that happened on Twitter that my whole point was they need to give him another option and different line mates before they throw in the towel and send him down. I got to say, right now I'm looking like I was right. (laughs) They threw him a lifeline and he took that rope and pulled hard. And he is on that boat right now. He's going in the right direction. Even if he's getting hit by refs, he's taking hits. He's making plays uh, before his fight tonight. Yeah. Before his fight tonight, (laughs) he got knocked by a ref. Like he was trying to get the puck, and the the ref took him out. And I guess he was so frustrated, he decided to fight the Sabres player. I don't know. But got to hand it to him. Great game from Slavkovsky tonight. All right, let's take some questions from the chat. I'm excited to chat with everyone tonight a little bit because it's been like two times that I've been on for like the last three weeks. I'm out of practice in, in running a stream. It's been all Mark all the time <laughs> while I've dealt with the illnesses and school strikes and parents visiting and all this stuff so uh let's get some questions in i'm going to look through here and see if we've got any good questions for sebastian uh while i'm looking sebastian can you tell us uh how do you feel about cole caulfield season so far i mean it's it's a matter of time for him he's he's definitely still cole caulfield i've i've liked him more this season than i did last season i think that as you mentioned earlier the defensive game has really grown a lot. I think that he's he's becoming a lot more dynamic with the puck on his stick on the power play where last over the last two seasons he was based on, on auto shoot mode every single time he was laid up for a shot on the power play. He's been like looking for playmaking options a lot more. He's been making quick one one two passes with Suzuki and Matheson to shift the defensive box that I wasn't seeing much last season. And he's shooting at under 6%. And this is Cole Caulfield we're talking about, who's probably used to shooting well over 10%. So uh, it's a matter of time. He, he's gotten really unlucky. He's hit quite a few posts recently. He had at least, I think, nine shots on target in this game against yep. Buffalo, which is just funny. Uh, so, you know, like I, I think that Caulfield's doing just fine. And especially playing on this line now with Slavkovsky and Suzuki, uh, his, his goal tally is going to rock it up pretty soon i'm not I'm, I'm not very concerned about that yeah nine shots on net tonight 12 individual uh <laughs> shot attempts eight scoring chances you got a rebound attempt like he's gonna start scoring it, it's gonna happen i i do think there's probably some like calibration issues with at, like the surgically repaired shoulder where things are mostly the way they should be, but there's like a little bit that's off and that's affecting his finishing maybe. So maybe like that's more like that's a part of it aside from the luck, but in comparison to last year or the year before, he's creating more shots, more scoring chances, more high danger chances. He's getting to better areas. So I'm not, I'm just not worried. I think everyone who is worried needs to take a a little bit of a chill pill. Just like the Arbor Jack, I think. Uh, Jean Samard says, is Colby Armstrong a garbage color commentator? Yes or yes. I wasn't a fan of him continually justifying late hits. But I I will say, at the very least, he seemed to be watching the game. Which is something that a few color commentators who we seem to regularly get with the Canadians don't appear to do. They're a little bit sleepy. So I'll give Colby that. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll limit my comment. To, I thought it was pretty funny when uh, we got the insight uh, after that like double cross check from Brendan Gallagher on Jeff Skinner, 
uh, where he was asked, uh, did he already have that in his rookie season? And Colby Armstrong just started laughing because, of course, he had that in his rookie season. Yeah. Gallagher's never been one to shy away from physical contact, uh, especially one that's in the gray area, if you're generous, like that play was. Uh, so that was entertaining at the very least. Yeah, I think if you're ever wondering if Brennan Gallagher has always been Brennan Gallagher, you can go watch the highlights of when he was playing in the Brick tournament when he was like nine yeah. or ten or something like yeah. that, and like immediately crashes the goalie, you know, like immediately he's hitting guys. It's it's Brendan Gallagher through and through. He's never been different than what he is now. Uh, let's see here. Dishon said Cole is poised to have a massive scoring streak. Shooting percentage way too low. I agree. <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. Uh, Ryan Dodd says, "How much of a benefit is it to play left shot D on the left and vice versa?" Could there be a benefit to left shot D on the right, similar to how wingers are deployed these days? I think that's a great question. I think that there's benefits and drawbacks of both. Offensively, I think playing on your offside can open up a lot of avenues for you. But defensively and also like holding the blue line along the wall, it is a little bit more difficult. And, you know, just your stick position is different, right? When you have your stick in one hand and you're poking... It's a little bit different to be on your offside. Uh, what do you think, Sebastian? I've always found that it, it comes down to a player's style a little bit uh, with how comfortable they are on their offsides. Mm-hmm. Like fully agreed. In the offensive zone, I love I love seeing defensemen swap spots uh, and create more dangerous shooting lanes and set them set each other up for one timer options and so on and so forth. Uh, but defensively, when you're a player like, for instance, Caden Gooley or Alexander Romanov, who has a lot of their value come from being like suffocating uh, in defending transition and really just snuffing out everything on their side of the ice. I think it can actually like be a bit of a, a mistake to have them on their offsides because it makes them a lot weaker in defending plays up the boards. So if you're playing Caden Gooley on the right side, for instance, you'd see a lot more players get by him just by virtue of being able to get the puck through that little hole uh, on his right side uh, between his stick and the boards uh, where it's a bit more uncomfortable uh, with your backhand. Uh, So I I think it depends on the situation, but I'm not a believer that it really should be a rule that you go by that you have to keep your left shots on the left and and right shots on the right. I think that there are benefits to mixing and matching and going for stylistic pairings rather than just handedness pairings. Like I think that uh, Jaden Struble could do just, just fine on the right. And uh, you pair him with a guy like Mike Matheson and you have like the best transition defenseman pairing that you've seen Habs Jersey in a long time, which would be enjoyable to watch. Uh, for this. I'm for this. Out to that ability. Uh, but it would be entertaining, and and I think that uh, there are players that can excel on that side. So Arbor Jacka is another one where yes, transition defending is a strength, but it's mainly because he he plays the body uh, rather than the stick first. Uh, whereas Gooley is like, despite being violent, is quite dedicated to being a stick first player, which I love in my defenseman. So uh, it it does depend on the style a little bit and on the strengths, but. Uh, in general, you can mix and match and just see what fits because you, you do see left shots excel on the right and vice versa. Like Jordan Harris, I like quite a bit on his offside. I think he, he's really solid there and is one of the many reasons I'd love to see the Habs hang on to him. I think he offers excellent versatility on a bottom pairing. Yeah, I, I do too. I, I really like Jordan Harris. Uh, Jim Neal says, Mike Johnson's the best color man in the league. I absolutely adore Mike Johnson, uh, both professionally and Mike personally. Denis. He's he's been uh, a great person to me. That uh, has been on multiple of my shows before. I want to get him on this show. However, 
I think he's been dethroned. I think the best color person in the league is Cheryl Pounder. She just Ooh, is. That's a hot take. She's so good. She's so she's good. She's excellent. Like, Mike Johnson's right there. Like, it, it is one, two, very, very close. But I really like what Cheryl Pounder brings. I find her perspective is so unique and nuanced uh, in the hockey world. And another riser for me is uh, Frankie Corrado. He's probably like number three right now for me. I still have Macdonia at number one. I'm I'm a quite dedicated RDS viewer for my Habs games, and I don't think that any uh, duo can really compare to Pierre Wood and Macdonia in Ugh. terms of a commentary. There's no play-by-play person in the league no. that can compare to Pierre Hood. I don't even think it's He's close. the voice of my childhood. I grew yeah. up with his voice. Uh, voice of a generation. Nostalgic through many generations at this stage. That's true. Um, Good point. Good point. Uh, let's see here. What else have we got? Um, King of the... Oh, no. Let's see. What else? Any other questions? Uh, do goalies have the book out on Caulfield? No. <laughs> Trisak. No. They don't have the book on Caulfield. Uh, Colin McDonald says... Five tonight, which goes against the, the book at the very least. That's true. Uh, Colin McDonald, what might the Habs get in return for Allen closer to the trade deadline? I think that really depends on what the situation is, right? I know it's not a satisfying answer, but how desperate are the teams? You know, like if uh, if Jack Campbell falters in his call-up back to the NHL, the Oilers are probably a lot more desperate than if he is just okay, right? If Skinner starts to struggle again, they'll get a little bit more desperate. You kind of hope that more goalies start to struggle. I wouldn't rule out uh, the Carolina Hurricanes looking for a goalie either. It seems like they're having big troubles with injuries. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think with Jake Allen, my guess is he fetches like a third round draft pick or something comparable yeah, it's to that, not which be is huge. what the Habs paid for him. Yeah. Like, like, I think like goalies in general really go for a lot less than you might expect uh, based off of their impact on a game. And that's due to their the inconsistency between seasons for goaltenders being so erratic. Uh, so. You never really see teams like shelling out and, and paying the big bucks for goalies, uh, especially in the last like, two seasons. So I think if the Habs are able to fetch a third round draft pick for Jake Allen, uh, who still has a decent uh, league, like a large cap hit next season that you wouldn't yeah. mind necessarily getting rid of and, and running a cheaper tandem um, could, could make sense for sure for the Habs. Uh, but I think like a, a mid round pick, like I think third is like hopeful and fourth is, yeah like be expected for me. Yeah. I think where you might get a bigger return for Jake Allen is if it's the Canadians taking money back. So like, I don't really want the Canadians to take on uh, Jack Campbell's contract, but if they were to send Campbell to Edmund or send uh, Allen to Edmonton, sorry, and take Campbell back, then maybe you're getting a big payout from Edmonton to take on that contract. Right. Yeah. Like you're, you're probably getting like, Borgo or something like that. It it would be I think significant to get rid of Jack Campbell's contract. It would have to be. Borgo isn't the biggest piece. Like he's a he's twenty two years old and he's struggled to get over half a point a game in the AHL. Uh, he's he's not the player that I'd be targeting. I think. I mean, Edmonton's prospect pool is barren. Like it really is yeah. a barren landscape there. Uh, it's tough. But you got like like the, the the only two players I think I'd be like interested in um from the house perspective well <laughs> one's a left shot defenseman so uh big great that one. there Bo, a- <laughs> Bo Aiki, ton of fun he's out for the season though um 
which makes him cheaper to get by trade. Uh, was just drafted. Really great transition defender. He's like Brett Kulak, but better uh, projection. So he's a ton of fun. Uh, but again, left shot defenseman is definitely not a position of need for the Habs, so especially for young players. And the other one's Dylan Holloway. I think yeah. he, he'd be an interesting fit. Uh, doesn't project as much more than three C, uh, but could could fill in like and swap like in for Dvorak once Dvorak's gone. Uh, but I think like a draft picks are really what you'd be aiming for there. Like try to loosen out a first and a and a third or something. Like you at the very least get a first round pick for taking on that kind con- the Campbell contract. Uh, looking at like past cap dumps, but uh, yeah, you wouldn't be getting that value because of Jake Allen. Yeah. And uh, a last question of the night. There's a couple good ones in here, but it's just, we've already gone an hour here. Uh, Ben Dawson asks, have we talked about PK's interview for CBC gem? No surprise. 2014 team Canada coach was Mike Babcock where uh, PK mentioned that uh, he was told that he wasn't allowed to celebrate if he scored a goal while playing for team Canada. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it was Mike Babcock. I wouldn't be surprised if that was somebody else in hockey Canada either. Uh, We don't know. Um, I'm glad PK is talking about it. I think that's my my biggest takeaway because watching P.K. Subban's career with great interest as he was flat out my favorite player, um, I thought that he was just going to keep his head down and push through everything and never really talk about the bullshit because he dealt with a lot that was swept under the rug, uh, not just from his own team in the Montreal Canadiens or from Hockey Canada, but also, frankly, from referees. Uh, I think if you look back at P.K. Subban's early career, he's a rough-and-tumble guy. He gets in players' faces. He's an agitator. He's going to take a lot of penalties. Uh, I don't think he should have been the eighth most penalized player in the league during his prime. I, I think that's completely horseshit. And there were several moments that were caught on... I don't know if you remember the show 24CH when they used oh, to do yeah. that. Oh, yeah. There was, there was one where he was mic'd up for a game and uh, there was a play where he got tripped up behind the net while he was trying to like clear the puck and ended up icing the puck. And the guy's stick came up and the blade of his stick caught him right in the throat. And he bolts to the bench. He think, like he can't breathe for a second. He's, he's scared. He goes to the bench. And the ref comes over and just absolutely chews him out for going to the bench. And he was like, I thought I was injured. And he was like, no, you get back out on the ice. You tell me, thank you, sir, for not giving you a penalty. And I was like, whoa, that's a, I don't think you'd say that to most players, man. That's pretty messed up. So I think there's a lot of things about PK's career that would be very interesting for people to know. And a lot of his accomplishments are downplayed, frankly, because he's a loud black dude. Like people talk about his 2013 Norris as a fluke, as if he wasn't nominated or like, top five in Norris voting for the next three or four years straight. Like he was a fantastic yeah. player. T- tremendous. I mean, I, I have like my, my favorite Jersey I have in my, like in my very, very small limited collection of, of like three or four Habs jerseys is my 2016 winter classic PK Subban Jersey, which is just gorgeous. Uh, and he was definitely one of my favorite players growing up as well. I mean, I started watching the Habs like a year or two before uh, PK kind of came onto the scene. So I, I really watched with, uh, with, with with curiosity and, and enjoyment his entire career play out, uh, and the amount of racism that he faced uh, for being flamboyant and not being a, a quiet black man and, and being loud and being a human being with a personality. 
uh yeah it definitely sh shown a lot of light still on the extent of racism in in the hockey establishment whether it be within uh the Habs organization specifically or the refereeing or so on and so forth the uh, hockey canada as and basically every single level that he played at right so you you've we've seen this very visibly in his case and i think that him talking out about it and being vocal is important to make sure that like this generation of young black hockey players have somebody that is talking against talking back to power and i think that's very important yeah it really is all right uh thanks sebastian for joining us here tonight thanks everyone for coming in live we had a great stream with you all it's so fun to be back on even though i can barely get words out and i'm just trying not to cough the whole time i'm on here i feel like i've done all right you did great yeah, I, I've muted the mic a few times to try to get one out. But uh, for the most part, I think we, we managed. Uh, thanks, everyone, for showing up. We'll be back tomorrow night. It's a back-to-back. -back. So, uh, I don't know, maybe I'll hit Sebastian up again. <laughs> we'll be back-to-back. -back. But uh, <laughs> we'll see. All right, everyone, have a good one. We'll see you tomorrow night.